so April 2019, NBA superstar Kevin Durant was interviewed by a reporter after a tragic loss. It was the Golden State Warriors versus the Los Angeles Clippers. You see, after the loss, many reporters began to question Kevin Durant's efforts. They began to wonder, is he still the same KD? Well, in this interview that, Ke that Durant gave to the reporters, he summarized the game and then he gave, he gave these concluding words, which was probably the most famous words throughout the NBA playoffs. He said, and I quote, I'm Kevin Durant. I'm Kevin Durant. You know who I am. Y'all know who I am. It's pretty funny. <laughs> but as he said that, it just blew everyone away because what he did for the remainder of the playoffs was show the watching world, everyone who watched the NBA, what he meant by saying that he was Kevin Durant. You see, he averaged 34-plus points a game, and he just dominated all the way until he got hurt. You see, he showed the world that he was Kevin Durant. Well, in our passage this morning, on an infinitely greater scale, we will see the Lord make sure that everyone knows that he is the Lord through demonstrating his sovereign power over creation. You see, in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, when Moses and Aaron approached Pharaoh and requested for him to let the people of Israel go, Pharaoh responded with this question. He said, who is the Lord that I should let the Israelites go, that I should obey him? Well, the Lord is about to educate Pharaoh. He's about to make sure that Pharaoh and all the earth know that he is the Lord. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. And it's found on page 49 in the Pew Bible in front of you. And so this morning, we will cover nine plagues in four chapters. We've got quite a bit to cover, and so put your seatbelts on and buckle up, all right? Starting out with our big idea. Our big idea this morning is this, that God judges the idols of the world so that everyone may know that he is the Lord. I'll say it again. Our big idea this morning is this, that God judges the idols of the world so that everyone may know that he is the Lord. And so we've been walking through the book of Exodus for a few weeks now. And the book of Exodus can be broken into two sections. Chapters 1 to 18 is the rescue of God's people, and chapters 19 to 40 is the revelation to God's people. Last week, we saw Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh requesting that he let the Israelites go. And they experienced resistance, and it led to harsher treatment of the Israelites. They became discouraged things did not look well for the Israelites. Well, the Lord commanded Moses to tell Pharaoh all that he says to Moses, and Moses responded by saying that he is a man of uncircumcised lips, the very excuse that he made before. Yet, we see Moses go and obey. And so if you're taking notes this morning, the passage is gonna be a little tricky, but I got a few things for us to, for you to hold on to. First, what we're going to see is we're going to see people. We're going to see Moses and Aaron's obedience, but we'll also see Pharaoh's hardening of his heart. Secondly, 
we will see God's power displayed through the plagues. We're going to go through the nine plagues. And then what we're going to see is God's purpose for judging Egypt's gods. And it's that all may know him. And so the three things that we're going to see, the three Ps, you can see people, plagues, and God's purpose. Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 to 2, and it reads this. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like, Pharaoh, like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. You see, God spoke to Moses, reassuring him of the very words that he spoke to him in chapter 4. God said to Moses that he will make him like God to Pharaoh. And what that means is that God will speak to Moses, Moses will speak to Aaron, and Aaron will speak to Pharaoh. But as you read the passage, as you read the plagues on your own, one thing to note is that quite often what you see is Moses speaking directly to Pharaoh. It's as if the Lord was with his mouth, the very promise that he made in chapter 4. And the message that Aaron will declare is for, Moses, for Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. You see, God wanted his people to be freed from slavery in Egypt. Look at verses 3 to 5. It says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. You see, again, the Lord promised that there will be resistance. And he said that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. Garrett touched on this quite a bit last week. And, and what the Lord means is that, what that means is that, you see, he will make Pharaoh's heart heavy. He will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn. You see, in this, God is displaying his sovereignty over Pharaoh. And friends, do not think that the Lord is doing evil to Pharaoh as if Pharaoh's heart is good or neutral. You see, Pharaoh's heart has never been good, and it wasn't neutral. It was always hard. You see, Pharaoh, he was a polytheist. He worshipped many gods, and he was this wicked oppressor over Israel. And as you read through the plagues, you're going to see three references to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. You'll either see Pharaoh's heart was hardened, or you'll see that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, or you'll see that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And in the first five plagues, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. You see, it wasn't until after the sixth plague that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. But in this, we see the compatibility between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God promised that he will multiply his signs in Egypt. You see, the Lord, he will display his sovereign power over creation through 11 miraculous signs. See, the first sign will be a private demonstration before Pharaoh. And then the next 10 plagues will be the final 10 signs. And the Lord said that by this, he will bring out his people through great acts of judgment. You see, the plagues are a display of God judging Egypt's gods. Exodus chapter 12, verse 12 reads this, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, 
And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Like Pharaoh, the Egyptians, they were polytheists, which means they worshipped many gods. They believed that there were many gods. Well, God is about to make known to them that there is only one God, Yahweh, the one true God. And as he judges all of Egypt's gods, what he's going to do is he's going to humiliate the Egyptians through judging their gods. And as he judged their gods, what he would do is he will deliver his people. He tells Moses twice within these three verses that he will bring his people out of the land of Egypt. Look at verse 5 with me again. And this will be the purpose. He says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. And so God, what he's going to do here is he's about to teach the Egyptians, Pharaoh, the Israelites, and all the world that he is the Lord through these plagues. You see, God, through the plagues, God makes it abundantly clear that he wants all people to know that he is the Lord. Exodus chapter 7, verse 17 reads this, by, you, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 8, verse 22, he says that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Chapter 9, verse 16, he says, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You see, God wants to be known to all the earth. Verse 6, it says, And Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. You see, Moses and Aaron obeyed the Lord. And throughout this section, what you're going to see is the progression of Moses' obedience. You'll no longer see him refuse to, you'll no longer see him refuse to obey and rationalize his disobedience. It's like you're going to see a different person from the first from the opening chapters of the book of Exodus. Moses will do all that the Lord commanded him. You see, one thing to note, as you think about Moses' maturity and his obedience, one thing to be mindful of is that maturity doesn't happen apart from obedience to the Lord. Maturity to the Lord does not happen apart from obedience to the Lord. And as we see Moses' obedience, may it encourage and challenge us to be men and women, saints of the Lord, who constantly walk in obedience to all of God's commands. Verse 7, it says, Now Moses and Aaron was 80 years old. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. And so Moses is now 80. You know, the first 40 years of his life was spent in Pharaoh's palace. And then he killed a man and he fled to Midian for his life. And then he spent the next 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd. But then the Lord had called him and sent Aaron to go with him. And they went back to Egypt only to deliver the very people of Israel from bondage. You see, due to their age, they probably would have been voted the, the least likely to deliver the people of Israel. But that is exactly what God is going to do through them. And on that note, do not think that you are too old or too young to be used by the Lord. Trust and obey God, 
and let him determine how he will use you. All right, and so now we're going to see the first demonstration of God's power before Pharaoh. Look at verses 8 to 10. And it says, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourself by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron did, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast it down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. And so the Lord told Moses that Pharaoh want proof, and the Lord gave proof. Aaron threw down his staff, and it became a serpent. The Lord revealed his power by having a piece of wood become an animal. Y'all, this was miraculous. Like, this doesn't usually happen, ever. It never happens, except when the Lord does it. And look how Pharaoh responded. Verse 11 and 12. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and the magicians of Egypt also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. And so Pharaoh, he didn't respond with belief, but instead he summoned his wise men. He summoned the magicians to perform the very same work by their secret arts. And it's exactly what the magicians did. And this secret arts that they used to perform this work, this is, this is demonic power. And as you read through the plagues, you're going to see the magicians uh, come up a few times. And let me give us a few observations. i got five observations for us about the magicians. Number one, they perform acts by demonic powers. And this is very much true here, and it's true all throughout Scripture. Do not think that demonic power is fake. It's real. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says that, that Satan disguises himself as the angel of light. In 2 Thessalonians, it talks about the man of lawlessness, the lawless one, and it says that, that he will perform false signs and wonders by the activity of Satan. And we don't only have to look in Scripture, we can even see it here in real life. Well, Scripture is real life, but we can see it here in our day, that even through tarot cards and, and Ouija boards, we see demonic power. But we also see it through entertainment. You see, there are demonic influences even in entertainment, which, saints, we must be careful at the shows that we watch and the movies that we expose ourselves to know that there are even demonic influences in entertainment. Secondly, the magicians, they only make matters worse for the Egyptians. And you will see that in the very first two plagues as they replicate the very works that the Lord does. Thirdly, the magicians can imitate, but they can't eliminate. You see, not one time that they try to imitate one of God's miracles that they try to eliminate it. They didn't try to undo it at all, and the reason is they can't. Fourthly, we'll see that there are limitations to their abilities. They can't even imitate every plague, not even most of them. They only do it the first two. And then lastly, fifthly, their secret arts were done to hinder belief. You see, Pharaoh called them to perform the very same act so that he can refuse to obey the Lord's command. You see, their, their secret arts, one of the things is, it would hinder belief. But as they turned their staffs to serpents, look what happened. 
Look at verse 12 and 13. It says, For but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, and still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And so God, he demonstrated his superiority over the secret arts by having Aaron's staff swallow up their staffs. But then you see Pharaoh's response. He didn't repent. No, he only hardened his heart. Now, in the next 10 signs, there will be plagues on Egypt, which will increase in intensity. What we will see is they will go from discomfort to disease to devastation to darkness and then end in death. Now, we're going to scuba dive through the the first plague. We're going to dive deep, and when the Lord turns the Nile into blood, but then the very next eight plagues, what we're going to do is we're going to water ski. So we go quickly over the next eight, concluding with the tenth plague that will happen next week as Jason Seville preaches for us. And as we look through these plagues, one of the overarching themes to notice is that, is that though these plagues is certainly a display of God's judgment, it is also an act of mercy. Because God is proving to Pharaoh, the Egyptians, the Israelites, the world, and to us that all idols will fail and that they are not worthy of our trust, our hope and devotion, but that only the Lord is worthy of our trust, hope, and devotion. You see, in these plagues, what we're going to see is we're going to see God's justice and his mercy at work simultaneously, showing off that there is only one true God. And a few observations about the plagues. Plagues 1, 4, and 7, what we're going to see is that Moses confronts Pharaoh outdoors. Plagues 2, 5, and 8, Moses will confront Pharaoh in Pharaoh's court. And then plagues 3, 6, and 9, Pharaoh gets no confrontation. There's no warning like quick sneak shots. Now about the plague, some people may be wondering if these plagues were actually miraculous signs of God or were they just natural disasters? Well, if you're thinking that, I have four observations for you to consider. Number one, no one in the passage assumed that these plagues were natural disasters. Not Pharaoh, not Moses, not Aaron, not the Egyptians. No one assumed them to be natural disasters. Secondly, In a couple of the plagues, the magicians were able to imitate the plague, but on a smaller scale. Thirdly, Pharaoh asked Moses to plead with the Lord for the plagues to end. If he thought they were just natural disasters, he would have waited it out. But he didn't. Therefore, we can recognize, we can see that he recognized that this was from the Lord. And then lastly, when the Lord removed the plagues, they were completely gone. Not one gnat locust or fly remained in Egypt when the Lord ended the plague, proving that this was not a natural disaster. These were not natural disasters, but that these were miraculous signs from the Lord. So let's get into it. The first plague, we see water turn into blood. So chapter 7, verses 14 and 16, and it reads this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. 
And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. And so the Lord sent Moses and Aaron to meet Pharaoh in the morning, and they were to say, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And so you will see this phrase six times within the plagues, communicating that God wants the Israelites to be free, that they may serve him. You see, in the movie, The Prince of Egypt, they only got it half right. They said, well, Moses said in the movie, let my people go. But he left out that they may serve me. You see, the Lord was setting Israelites free that they may serve him. You see, the Lord did not want them to any longer be under this wicked ruler, but, they want, but he wanted them to be under a good ruler himself. You see, the Lord is an infinitely greater master than Pharaoh. You see, Pharaoh laid heavy burdens on the Israelites, whereas God's commandments are not burdensome. Pharaoh's commandments destroyed the Israelites, where the Lord's commandments, he would say, is for their good. And the Israelites being enslaved to Pharaoh, it is a picture of humanity being enslaved to sin. Only God can free the Israelites, just as only God can free us from being enslaved to sin. Now, spiritually, just like in the Exodus, one may think that being set free means having no master, when in actuality, being set free means having the right master. You see, all of us are going to be enslaved to someone or something. You're either going to be enslaved to sin leading to death, or you will be enslaved to God leading to, right, leading to righteousness and its end, eternal life. Verses 17 to 19. It says, Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt. Over the waters of Egypt, their canals and their ponds and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood, that there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. You see, the purpose of this plague is for Pharaoh to know that Yahweh is the Lord. You see, well, Pharaoh wanted to know who was the Lord. Well, Yahweh is about to teach him. You see, he will turn the Nile into blood by striking it with Aaron's staff. And this, big, this is a big deal, y'all, because the magicians worship the Nile. It was their source of transportation. It watered the crops, and it was their sustenance of food and drink. Well, God is about to demonstrate his power over the Nile. He will turn into blood and cut off their source of provision. Verses 20 and 21, it says, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron, they obeyed the Lord. God turned the Nile into blood. The fish died. The Egyptians couldn't drink it. 
You see, this miracle, it would have captured the attention of the Egyptians. You see, what it would have done is it would have humiliated their God. The very one whom they worshiped is no longer providing for them, but is turned in to blood. Verses 22 and 23, it says, But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. You see, the magicians imitated the plague by turning some water into blood. And then Pharaoh responded with a hard heart. He didn't think about it. He didn't take this to account. He just went back in. But observe how it impacted the Egyptians. Verse 24, And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. You see, the Egyptians, they had to begin to search for water. They dug below subsurface because the water below the surface wasn't turned into blood. You see, this would have been a very much an inconvenience for them, seeing that their source of water has now been cut off. Look at verse 25. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. You see, this plague lasted an entire week. Imagine that. Your primary source of water, your primary source of sustenance and food and, and water for your crops for seven straight days, it's blood. They have to search elsewhere. They have to look for provision somewhere else. You see, their God, who they hoped in, has been put to shame, making known that that God, the Nile, is not God at all, but only the Lord. And then, friends, as we see that there were seven full days between after the first plague, many commentators believe that, that this is more of a standard in between the plagues. So do not take the plagues as if they happen like really quickly, qu quickly back to back, but the plagues took place over a span of months. And now that we've, we've briefly, not, deep, not briefly, but now that we've deep, si deep sea dive through the first plague, we're going to water ski through the next eight plagues, we're going to point out a few observations as we go. And so the second plague, an infestation of frogs on Egypt. You see, the Egyptians, they worshipped an idol with a frog's head. They thought that this was the goddess of birth. So they wouldn't kill a frog. Well, the Lord is about to plague the Egyptians with an infestation of frogs. God sent them everywhere in Egypt and on every one, Pharaoh included. You see, God gave the frogs free reign over all of Egypt. Think about how uncomfortable and unsanitary that would have been, that frogs are on you everywhere you go, you stepping on them, you laying on them in bed, and they are laying on you. You see, the very thing that they worshipped, they probably wanted to kill. And then to make matters worse, in chapter 8, verse 7, and just in case that there weren't enough frogs, the magicians added more by their secret arts. But then look at verse 8. It says, And Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. You see, Pharaoh recognized that this was from the Lord. Notice who he didn't go to. He didn't reach out to the magicians. 
He reached out to Aaron and to Moses, pleading for them to pray, to intercede, that God would remove the frogs. And y'all, this is the first of four requests that Pharaoh will make to Moses. Well, the Lord took away the frogs. Pharaoh didn't let the people of Israel go. What he did was he only hardened his heart. Third plague, gnats. The Lord had Aaron strike the dust of the earth, and the dust became gnats on all Egypt. They were on everyone and everything, eating man and beast. You see, this would have been extremely uncomfortable. Imagine going moment by moment, flicking off gnats, trying to get them off of you, and only more to get on you and bite you. Y'all, I could not imagine how this would have felt. You see, if you know me, you know that I hate bugs. But if you know my wife, you know that she loves to go on walks. And so this creates a dilemma in our marriage. What do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We go on walks. (laughs) But let me tell you how I prepare for these walks, though. It don't matter any season, summer, winter, spring, or fall. I put on sweatpants. I'm putting on a long sleeve shirt. I'm putting on a jacket, and I'm putting bug spray all over me just so I won't get bit by one bug. Now, the Egyptians, they couldn't do any of that. You see, I'll freak out if I get get bit by one bug. Imagine how crazy they're going continuously and repeatedly getting bit by many flies, by many gnats. And in chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, we see that the magicians, they weren't able to produce gnats. You see, what God said to them is that Penn and Teller, your little magic show is over. (laughs) They confessed to Pharaoh, and then they said that this is the finger of God. You see, y'all, look how mighty God is. You see, when a man want to showcase his strength, what he would do is that he would go to the bench and put about four or five plates on the bar. You know, something like what Andrew Hobart would do. <laughs> and then what a man would do is he'd get a spotter, and he'd exert all of his energy only to maybe lift the bar once. Well, y'all, when God want to display his strength, he uses his finger. And what he does, he don't necessarily lift bars. <laughs> He creates gnats. He plagues an entire nation with gnats. That's how powerful and sovereign our God is. The fourth plague, flies. Well, the Lord sent swarms of flies everywhere and on every one. And in chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, we see the Lord makes this distinction between his people and the Egyptians. You see, this was implicit in the previous plagues, but now the Lord makes it explicit. You see, Yahweh did what the false gods and Pharaoh couldn't do, and that was protect his people from the plagues. There were flies everywhere until Pharaoh asked Moses to intercede for them for the plague to end. Well, Moses prayed, and the Lord said, Shoo fly, and every single fly left Egypt. The fifth plague, death of the Egyptian livestock. Here we see the intensity of the plagues increase. 
You see, God judged, in this plague, God was judging their goddess that they believed had this cow head and their bull god, which was a symbol of, of fertility. Well, God judged their gods by killing all the livestock in Egypt. The, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and flocks. And though Egypt was plagued, the Lord protected the livestock in Israel. Not one of Israel's livestock died. Pharaoh even sent private investigators to, to scope out the land of Israel to see if their livestock was still alive. And they were. The sixth plague, boils. The Egyptians, they, they worshipped the goddess who they believed to be over the power of disease. Well, the Lord would plague Egypt with a painful skin disease. You see, the plague was so severe that the magicians couldn't even attempt to replicate this plague. And after this plague, this is the first time that we see the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. The seventh plague, hell. The Lord plagued Egypt with hell that fell on man and beast. Look at chapter 9, verses 14 to 16, and it reads this. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that you may, know, so that you may proclaim, so my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You see, God is sending this plague so that Pharaoh would know that there is none like him in all the earth. You know, through the plagues, it's like God is hitting Egypt with a massive earthquake and its aftershocks are being experienced throughout all the world. You see, the Lord's name will be proclaimed in all the earth as he displays his power over the most powerful ruler in the world. And that's exactly what happened. If you read the very beginning of Joshua, Rahab, a Gentile, testifies to these Israelite spies that they have heard all that the Lord did in Egypt. And one thing to note about this plague on the hill, it was the only plague that the Egyptians could prepare for. Look at chapter 9, verses 19 through 21. It says, Now therefore, sin, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Y'all, you see, death and life hinged upon how the Egyptians responded to the word of the Lord. You see, if they feared the Lord, then they would, have got, they would have went into the house for shelter, and they would live. But if they didn't fear the Lord, they would remain outside, and they would die. Well, after this plague, Moses, he confessed his sin, and for the first time, he confessed his sin for the first time and promised to let the Israelites go. He confessed his sin not because he was grieved over his sin, but he no longer wanted to experience the consequences of his rebellion. You see, this is evident because when the Lord relented the plague, Pharaoh only hardened his heart. And y'all, this is a picture of false repentance. 
You see, genuine repentance isn't measured in correctly confessing your sin, but it's measured in confessing your sin and forsaking your sin. You see, one can say the right words in confessing their sin, but, but not be grieved, not have godly sorrow that they've sinned against, against God and repent. Now, on that note, Del Rey, how do you respond when you sin? Is there a godly grief that you've sinned against God that leads to repentance? Or, or are, you, are you only sorrowful because you are aware of the consequences that you will experience for your sin. The eighth plague. God plagues Egypt with locusts. Look at chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. It reads this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. You see, in this right here, the Lord is commanding family discipleship. He commanded Moses to tell his children and his grandchildren about all that the Lord did to Pharaoh. You see, God didn't just want this, that generation to know his mighty works. God didn't want that generation to know him, but he wants every generation to know him. And on that note, parents, one of the best things that you can do for your children is teach them the Bible and tell them about Jesus. Look at verse 7. He reads this. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Here we see Pharaoh receiving uninvited counsel. And look from who? His servants. You see, they stepped in and told the king, let the Israelites go. The land is ruined. It is not worth it. Let them go. But Pharaoh didn't listen. And so the Lord plagued Egypt with locusts, eating everything. So many locusts that the entire land was covered to where the land was black. But after the plague, Pharaoh had called Moses and he confessed his sin once again. And then the Lord had removed every locust and then the Lord had hardened Pharaoh's heart. The ninth and final plague in our passage, darkness. The Lord attacked Ra, the sun god, by yanking the plug and turning off the lights in Egypt. The Lord made darkness cover the entire land, yet he had the sun rising over the land in Goshen. You see, the Israelites, it was not dark for them. They had the sun rising. And this pitch blackness that was over the land of Egypt, it is a picture of an idolatrous heart. Is a picture of a heart of one who does not love God or fear him. And then look at verses 28 and 29 of chapter 10. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Moses, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day that you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. 
Y'all, this was the very last time that Moses saw Aaron's face. Not only was it the last time that he saw Aaron's, I mean, Pharaoh's face, it was the last time he will ever see Pharaoh's face. Because soon we will see that Pharaoh dies and he is condemned and he will be in hell for all of eternity. Whereas Moses, he will die and he will be with the Lord. And one of the saddest things about the plagues is Pharaoh's response to all of them. You see, he didn't repent when the Lord judged Egypt's gods, but he only hardened his heart. You see, you'd think that, that what Pharaoh would do is that he would turn and he would believe and, and that he would just be like, man, you are the only true God, but instead he doubled down in hardening his heart. Y'all, this is the clearest picture of spiritual blindness. You see, that one can see the many works of God, that God display that he is the only true God, and yet refuse to repent and believe. And in spiritual blindness, there's no way for one to free themselves. And it could be easy for us to look down upon Pharaoh, like, come on, man, get this thing together. But, you see, what's true of Pharaoh was certainly true of us until the Lord had saved us. You see, our hearts were once hardened before the Lord. And the only reason why our hearts are no longer hardened is because of God's grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, the only reason why our hearts aren't hardened is because God's grace. And throughout the plagues, we see God judging Egypt's gods. Now, it could be easy for us to dismiss this passage and think that there are no personal applications for us. And it could be easy for us to think that because they, ju- they worshipped the sun, they worshipped land, they worshipped all kinds of created things. Well, friends, I want to caution us from thinking that because though we may not worship the sun and the land, we too have idols that we need to put to death. Idols such as power, control, approval, money, family, comfort, and many more. You see, in God, he will have none of this among his people. You see, for God is the idol executioner. And if you're struggling to think about, like, man, what idols do I need to put to death? I have a few questions for you to consider. Well, what is it for you that if God took away, you would be tempted to no longer follow him? Well, let me say it a different way. Is there something that if God was to remove from your life, you might be free to love him more? Is there a relationship that you have made an idol? Is there a career? Though it has filled your bank account, it has emptied your soul. Are there apps on your phone that you run to for comfort the moment you wake up in the morning? Whatever it is, I highly encourage you to discuss this with fellow brothers and sisters and confess this to the Lord and forsake the idols. You see, as the Lord exposes our idols, the proper way for us to respond is to do the exact opposite of what Pharaoh did. You see, Pharaoh, he refused to forsake his idols. He refused to repent. But for us, we should humble ourselves, confess our sins, 
repent and submit all of our lives to the lordship of Jesus. Through the plagues, we see God being just and merciful at the same time. Just in condemning the idols and yet merciful and showing that these idols are not worthy of our hope and trust, but that he is the only Lord. You see, friends, this is not the only time that God will display his justice and mercy at the very same time. You see, at the cross of Jesus Christ, when the Son of God was crucified for sin, what we, what we see is that justice and mercy meeting. You see, on the cross, God was justly condemning sin. Jesus was bearing the judgment of God, not for sins that he committed, but for our sin. And yet, God at the same time is being merciful because God is sacrificing his son so that guilty sinners who repent and believe in Jesus will be forgiven of their sins and have eternal life. You see, Christ, as he was on the cross, he bore God's judgment and died on the cross. And three days later, he resurrected from the grave and he offers forgiveness of sins and salvation and freedom from God's wrath and freedom from bondage to sin for all who repent of their sins and believe in him. And if you know yourself to not be a Christian, I am so glad that you are here today. I think there's no greater place for you to be than a gospel-preaching church. Friends, whatever you're putting your hope in, I implore you this day to turn from it and believe in Jesus. You see, just as Pharaoh's gods could not save Pharaoh, neither can your gods save you. But you can be saved by the only true God. All you have to do is turn from your sin and believe the gospel and follow Jesus. Myself and all the members here are happy to talk with you after service. Delray, may we worship the one true God. May we not have any idols before him, and may we constantly examine our hearts and ask the Lord to, to search us and know us and expose to us our very own idols that we may forsake them and love him more. A few points of application for us. I have five. First, may we grow in our obedience to the Lord. Just as we saw Moses progress in his obedience, may we strive to grow in our obedience. As stated earlier, maturity doesn't happen apart from obedience to God. And so may we obey him. Secondly, may we worship and serve the Lord. For this is the very purpose of him freeing us. We saw the Lord say, let my people go that they may serve me. Well, now that the Lord has set us free, may we worship and serve him all of our days in response to such a great salvation. Thirdly, may we be a people who genuinely repent of sin and our idolatry. May we have a godly grief that we've sinned against God, confessing it and forsaking it. As we saw Pharaoh's false repentance, may that caution us. And may we, may we see that as a warning, an example to avoid. Fourthly, may we work hard that people may know that Jesus is Lord. You see, as we saw God's purpose for the plagues, that all may know that he is the Lord. You see, the plagues were a message to the world that God is Lord. 
Well, the Lord has given us the gospel, the very message that we are to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and for all to and beckon people to turn from their sin and believe in him, that they may be saved. And lastly, may we humble ourselves and trust in him and know that God is our rescuer. Can you imagine what God, what, how the Israelites felt as they saw the Lord plague Egypt with all of these plagues? The very promise that God had made known to the Israelites through Moses and Aaron, God is fulfilling that he will deliver his people. And y'all, God has delivered his people in Christ. And one day, God will deliver his people when Jesus returns. And so may the example of the Israelites that we don't necessarily see explicitly, but we can only imagine implicitly, may we hope in the Lord all the way until Jesus returns. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are our rescuer, that you are our redeemer, who have redeemed us through the blood of Christ. We praise you for opening our eyes to showing us that idols are just merely idols. They are not our Savior, but you are through your Son. Father, we pray if there's any here who does not believe in Jesus, who does not know you or your Son, we pray that you would draw them to yourself and save by your grace. Lord, may we be a people who worship you and proclaim that you are the Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen.